0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
1: This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila. Delicious and smooth tequila, meaning harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly.
0: Today's
2: program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corrin.com. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Welcome to HRN on Tour. This is Christine Sykes-Lowe, and today I'm joined by one of my hometown culinary heroes, Marwan Irani. Marwan is a chef and restaurateur changing the perception of Indian food in America through his growing restaurant and spice empire in the South's most essential culinary cities. He is a leading voice in the industry's conversation around diversity and cultural exchange. In 2022, Marwan's flagship restaurant in Asheville, Pani, was named Outstanding Restaurant by the James Beard Foundation. Miran was named by Time Magazine as one of the 31 people changing the South and is a five-time James Beard Foundation Award semifinalist for Best Chef Southeast. Yeah, sounds,
1: sounds, <laughs> that sounds, sounds so surreal when you say all that out loud. Yes, <laughs> that
2: is you. It's well, usually not all,
1: read back to be that. Okay, I know, I it.
2: <laughs> it's awesome. And um, hello, I'm so glad we could connect in our own hometown. Uh, I know we ran into each other in Aspen and it was a, you know, a million miles an hour out there and you had a lot going on. But tell me about your past several months because not only did you have that huge event to attend, but obviously the James Beard Awards. So how was your experience with that? I mean, congratulations, what a huge honor.
1: Thank you. Um, It's been pretty intense. Uh, The best word I can use to describe it is intensity, got dialed up and everything. I mean, we were doing all these things before the James Beard Awards, And all the awards did was sort of dial up the pressure, the attention, expectations, our own internal drive to just excel at everything we do, to look around and say, are we doing enough? Can we be doing more now that there's a spotlight on us? So, of course, incredibly exciting, incredibly privileged and honored, but also a little stressed out right now.
2: Well, you're keeping up with the demand. So um, I know you're making some adjustments with, you know, kitchens taking over to be able to uh, supply uh, the the restaurant that needs to have the people coming through that want to experience everything. Um, And I know that you have a lot of other things going on, but I want to go back to James Beard Awards because to me... I would love you to walk me through that day when you were, you were in the running for it. Did you have any idea that it was as close as it was that you would actually be getting the award? Was there any surprise element?
1: Oh, I was flabbergasted. <laughs> and, and I'm not just being coy. Yeah. I mean... Um, you know, it took me a long time to get adjusted to the fact that I was even nominated to be best chef, as you mentioned. Right. And and it took me a while to sort of like wear the mantle and go, you know, yeah, I, I don't have to feel insecure about this. Um, you know, I am doing something with Indian food that's special and people are noticing. And it was a wonderful feeling to be acknowledged. But then to have the entire enterprise, you know, the, the restaurant itself to suddenly be. Um, named as an outstanding restaurant in the entire country. It just was... I didn't even know how to process it. Right. And... Um, um, but then I said to myself, okay, well, it's just a semi-finalist list. Uh, it's a broad list, and it's very sweet of the voting panel to include us and give us a mention. Then we get on the funds list a few months later and now I'm like my jaws touching the floor and I'm starting to get stressed out about it. This is this. real. Yeah. This is real and why is this happening? Um it, it took a lot of self examination because we don't spend a lot of time doing that. We're just busy doing what we do, running restaurants, making food and like you said, just dealing with the, the masses outside. Um, So when I did that self-reflection, I thought to myself, well, okay, it's even more wonderful that we made the finals list, but I don't have to worry about winning because um, there's just so many other fantastic other, you know, finalists on the list. And in my mind, I believe it's Parachute in Chicago was my favorite to win because of just the work they do and their presence in the community. It's a hometown hero. Um, And then the day came and I was quite relaxed, actually, because I had convinced myself that we have made it this far, but, you know, we're not going to win for all the right reasons. Uh, I wasn't feeling nervous or uh, anticipatory. I was I was feeling relaxed and, uh, what's the word, accepting right. of the fact that just to be here was such an honor. So I got to tell you, when they said Chaipani on the stage, I, I kind of blacked out from that moment <laughs> until my speech was over. Um, I was so convinced that we weren't going to win that I didn't even have my speech written until I was sitting in the chair in the audience, uh, recognizing that if the one in the billion happens, I don't want to look like an idiot (laughs) blithering on stage, you know, without having anything meaningful to say. So I'm sitting there typing in my iPhone while my wife is nudging me saying, honey, the awards are going on. Like, listen, pay attention. Um, So, yeah, needless to say, it was absolutely a stunning moment. Took me a few weeks to wrap my head around what had just happened, and more importantly, to kind of reflect on what had we done uh, for us to win this award. How do we do more of it? Um, how do we live up to the expectation and the standard? And I'm not just talking about food and service. I'm talking about you know what I mentioned in my, my speech was, this idea that a restaurant should be bigger than the sum of its parts, that it should be bigger than what goes on inside the four walls, that that matters more than ever in today's day and age. The that, holistic view of it ex- absolutely, all. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that if, you're not, if you're in the community but not off the community, then you're kind of doing a disservice to yourself and to your community. So there's been a lot of that self-reflection and a lot of deep thinking around where do we go from here.
2: Well, um, I think everybody was en route to Aspen for the Food & Wine Classic. And this had obviously happened right before. And I remember doing a little research because I thought I would run into you and Katie and Mm -hmm. a few other folks from Asheville. And um, I remember seeing the clip of you up on stage and it was just such a humbling beautiful uh thing to watch and i encourage anybody to look it up because oh, thank you um what a great moment
1: it was an amazing <laughs> moment aspen felt like this extended after party right because you're right it was immediately after the awards <laughs> and everybody that was in chicago was also an aspen Say, hey
2: i saw you yeah. i just saw you So, uh, Time Magazine awarded you as 31 People Changing the South, and that was back in 2018. Right. Another probably wow moment when they contacted you for that. And um, through their profile on you, they noted um, your work with the Supper Club series, Brown in the South. Mm -hmm. Can you go into a little detail on how that formulated and how that came about and maybe where it's going?
1: Sure. That was such an organic thing. It really started as a conversation. Um, I was at the Oxford, uh, uh, symp- the uh, SFA Symposium, Southern Foodways Alliance Symposium in Oxford, Mississippi, and my dear friend Vish But, who won the 2019 Best Chef South, um, you know, was uh, there and, and uh, part of the hosting team. And at a moment when I looked at Vish and realized that, wait a minute, I see Vish as an Indian and my lens through which I relate to him is as an Indian with another Indian. But I really think he's a southerner first. And, 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 you know, and an Indian sort of you know, secondary, like where he came from is secondary to who he is and where he's from. So I asked him that question. I said, Vish, do you think of yourself as an Indian that happens to live in the south? Or do you think of yourself as a southerner that happens to come from India? And without hesitation, he said, oh, I'm absolutely a southerner. And that's a great question. And he said, well, how do you feel, marijuana? And for the first time in my life, I was challenged to really reflect on how much of my identity is based on where I am versus where I came from. And we talked long and deep into the night over many glasses of bourbon and recognized that it was a conversation worth having, not just for our sakes, but for the sakes of a lot of other people that look like us and generations to come of people that look like us. I mean, my kids growing up here in the South. Um, And we... Uh, included Chidi into the conversation and reached out to Asha Gomez and Chidi Kumar from Garland and Raleigh and Asha from um, the Third Space in, in uh, Atlanta and a number of other young um, chefs uh, and not so young <laughs> myself included um, and I recognize that there's something happening here. Um, Manith Chauhan you know, has her. You know, iconic restaurant in Nashville. What a
2: lovely lady, by the way. What
1: an amazing person and And Vivek, yeah. And Vivek, exactly. Yeah. And then you've got Chidi and Raleigh and myself in yes. Asheville and Asha in Atlanta and Vish in Oxford and like some of the most groundbreaking Indian chefs that were redefining not just Indian cuisine, but to a certain degree, their perception of Southern cuisine all happen to be in the South. That's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. So being food people, we said, let's all get together have a dinner, invite our close friends and people that are interested in this conversation and and talk about this. Um, John T. uh, curated the event, he was, I mean, uh, moderated the, the event. And that first dinner is when we realized that we're onto something. There's a whole bunch of people that have been asking themselves the same question. How much of your identity is based in where you are versus where you're from? and with the south in particular for me it seemed it seemed more relevant than any other part of the country because the south has a very strong identity an old identity and one with where people have a lot of feelings about it and uh, and some of it's ugly mm-hmm. and some of it's not and um, but, but
2: facing it and, and, and taking it head on and exactly. exploring it and talking about it openly. and talking about it and yeah. that
1: conversation was happening to a certain degree between you know, the the sort of historical residents of the South between white and black, that, those conversations and that tension have been going on for a long time. But my question was, what about the new settlers of the South, the ones that showed up in the 20th and 21st century, the ones that look like me that are making this our home, that if we didn't actively also claim this place as ours, that this, the conversation would never extend beyond the history of the South. So, in a funny way, um, uh, it, the, the Brown of the South turned into um, an exploration of what does a region or part of the country look like when newcomers also claim it as theirs and, and, and contributed it. And that's what Brown of the South became. I guess it got enough uh, coverage and attention and people talking to where, you know, um, the, the feeling was that we were doing something important here and actually changing some of the perceptions of the South. Then COVID happened and it kind of <laughs> like everything came to a pause.
2: Yes, a screeching halt. And now we're starting to tiptoe back and maybe yep. even run a little bit. Um, and I, and I also, interestingly on that, um, how you're melding the flavors and the history of the South into your own regional culture. Right. So um, through the menus and what you're serving and yeah, the restaurants.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I just did this dinner with Vish, uh, but, you know, my friend who I talk about often, and um, we did this a couple nights ago in Atlanta, and uh, his book is called I'm From Here. And again, the reason this dinner was really exciting to me, because there was a juxtaposition of two lenses. Uh, Vish's lens is that of a southerner um, s- interpreting his food through the lens of being an Indian. And I here in Asheville, I feel like I'm still an Indian interpreting southern food through the lens of being an Indian. It may seem like a you know, subtle difference, but it's, it's, it's a big difference. So um, uh, the way I look at food and chaipani and what we're doing is it's very much rooted in my Indian upbringing. It's Indian cuisine. But I want to make sure that when you come to chaipani and have Indian cuisine in chaipani, that there's a distinct sense of place that, yes, this restaurant didn't just arbitrarily plop itself in the middle of a town and is sort of, you know, this uh, bubble or this island uh, in the city. It, when you walk in, I want you to feel like this restaurant could only exist in Asheville or in Atlanta, and it could only exist in this part of the country, and it only makes sense because of the way they work with, uh, you know, southern concepts like southern hospitality and southern ingredients i mean our kale pakoras our sweet potato masala our green tomato fritters all I mean, delicious all delicious <laughs> our okra fries um you know if you didn't know that this was a indian restaurant and somebody gave yeah. you the many out of context you might not be you know wrong in assuming it's a southern restaurant right um so that's that's how i'm approaching food nowadays
2: well, you have a lot on your hands. You're co-founder, chef, and CEO of the Chai Pani Restaurant Group, which includes, and, and correct me if I'm wrong if I'm missing anything, Chai Pani Asheville, Chai Pani Decatur, Badawala Atlanta, Badawala Charlotte, Buxton Hall Barbecue, Buxton Chik- Chicken Palace. Bu- Buxton Chicken Palace. That's a tongue twister. Yeah, let me say that again. And um, Nanny's Piri Piri Chicken in Atlanta. And correct. then finally, Spice Brand, Spice Walla. Right. Which is, um, I would say, probably that came about in the past five years, correct? Yes, yeah,
1: 2018 was our first real year, yeah. And it
2: correct. has two outposts in Asheville and Atlanta. So, speaking of Spice Walla, I'd like yeah. to go into a little bit more on that because um, you had a pop up recently at the Grove and you mm-hmm. have it going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, what is your plan with that first of all how did it come about right. Spicewalla the brand and, and your plans going forward with it
1: um, you know most of the things in my life seem to come about serendipitously or accidentally you yeah. know it's like most of these restaurants when you describe them and I'm thinking back yeah well, how did we end up with and Hall Barbecue? how did we open this it always was it was the right time the right place mm-hmm. the right people the right moment and that's what happened Spicewalla back in 20. Late 2017, I was approached by um, a distributor, uh, Southern Foods, they were called at the time, since then been acquired by a bigger company, um, Cheney Brothers, um, asking if I would help them with figuring out a way to get chefs that were um, looking for more global... Flavors in their spices, and we're looking to have a broader and wider range of spices than a distributor that distributes to restaurants would normally carry. Now, you and I can walk in a grocery store, and and there's a world of spices there from A to Z from all over the world. But restaurants don't have access to that; they only have access to stuff a distributor is willing to carry, and a distributor will only carry what they think they can sell the most of. So they're not, they're not interested in the more exotic stuff, where you know they'll only sell smaller quantities. But this company recognizes. That many restaurants and chefs were broadening their palates, their audiences' palates were broadening, and were experimenting with you know a far wider range of flavor profiles and spices. So, long story short, I kind of got talked into starting a spice business to supply restaurants. And I guess the logic of the time was, I'm a chef, I'm a restaurateur, I understand both sides of the business, and also my background, you know, lends me to really learn about spices the way anybody from any part of the world would learn about, you know, their, the ingredients that come naturally to them. And that's how it started. And that's all it was meant to be. But then um, about six months in, uh, folks started talking about this little spice company. They started seeing jars of spices in chef's kitchens.
2: It's, it got a lot of press.
1: It got like, a lot early of press. on, it's yeah. amazing. And started asking a lot of questions yeah. and wanted to buy spices for the home. So uh, a series of people started showing up at our factory, a processing plant, asking them if we would sell spices in smaller home quantities. So I went ahead and developed a home line uh, and collections for the home. And we put together and curated a collection called the 18 Essential.
2: Is that it right there? That's it
1: right there. Yep. Yeah. With the ultimate kitchen essentials. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the idea being that most people in their kitchen drawers have that five year old jar of paprika or that seven year old jar of cumin that they've never thrown away because they just think it doesn't go bad. And the reality is that five year old paprika and that seven year old cumin is tasteless, odorless, and is just doing nothing when you add it to your food. Um, and um, so we created the set, with the idea being. You could empty out your pantry in your drawer, throw away all those old spices, and put in 18 of the ones that you need Would you mind most.
2: bringing this over here so I can sure. explain it to the audience, oh, well, to hot. listeners? Ah, empty, yes, it, well, the actual yeah. the actual prepackaged yeah. is uh, the 18 spices, and it's everything from ground yellow mustard to smoked paprika.
1: And za'atar and everything in between. Yes, everything
2: yeah. in between. It's beautifully it's, packaged.
1: Yeah, and the idea being that, you know, if you wanted to start from scratch, this is what you need to have at the very least in your pantry. Well, um, we launched that in 2019, and in the fall of 2019, Oprah... Her Majesty
2: (laughs) You know what I don't know If I knew this Maybe I did Maybe that was One of the things I was like Jaw-dropping over Because wow It was a
1: (laughs) wow woman She uh, put us on her list Of Oprah's favorite things Of 2019 And as everybody That's ever watched TV And recognizes What they call The Oprah effect Knows The list
2: yeah, The list (laughs) If you
1: get on the list You're just You know Done for And we were done for Uh, I was air shipping 40,000 tins From China Paying an eye-watering Amount of money just to get them in on time so that we could fulfill the orders that were coming through thanks to um, Oprah Winfrey. Um, I don't think we made a penny on the deal because we were just throwing everything we had at it. But I was determined to not let a single Oprah fan uh, not be able to buy her 18 pack of spices. <laughs> and that kind of launched us into the next level. Um, we grew by 4X again um, the year afterwards. The pandemic came along, everybody started cooking at home, and we kind of became, within certain circles, a household name. Mm-hmm. Um, we got amazing write-ups from the Wall Street Journal to you know, Bon Appetit magazine. And now we are in, oh my God, over 3,000 retailers. Um, we're in Amazon, obviously. Um, we sell to some big box suppliers like Costco and Walmart, and uh, we still supply restaurants, over 1,000 restaurants buy and use spice well in the kitchens every day.
2: And you're going to actually uh, have a physical presence here on Wall Street.
1: Yes. So yes. we also realized that in certain cities where we had restaurants, um, we needed to have a spice store because people were just coming to the restaurants trying to see where they could buy the spices, you know, because they needed it right away. So in Atlanta and Ponce City Market, we opened our first retail spice well store maybe three months ago. And uh, in Asheville, we just did a pop-up temporarily while we're building out a location on Wall Street for uh, our permanent store.
2: And when do you think that that may open? We're,
1: uh, the City of Asheville, if you're okay. <laughs> listening to this, our permits are we're in. Crossing <laughs> the fingers. <laughs> please, uh, please get those things fast-tracked <laughs> because we'd love to be open in time for the holiday season. But I'm not sure we will be. But by certainly by early next year, our retail store will be open.
2: Well, I'll send the good vibes. Thank um, you. Uh, anything, I always ask this, anything else you, on the radar that you want to talk about
1: well, coming up? Well, with, um, with the um, sort of recent accolades of Chaipani, obviously with the James Beard Foundation Award, and also in November of last year, the New York Times put us on their 50 favorite restaurants in America list, um, there's just a lot of momentum towards us uh, expanding. And uh, right now we're in two cities, and we think, not think, we're fairly certain that in the coming years will be in more major metropolitan cities that are, you know, within a certain hub of Asheville, because this is home. I'm not leaving. I want to stay here. For it's as pretty lo- uh, nice yeah, here. Pretty I have nice. to agree yeah. with you. This, this is home. This is home for me now. And um, the, the impetus behind the growing Chaipani is um, not because, oh, well, you know, it's strike while the iron's hot and it's a good financial move. It's actually strike while the iron's hot to really help Spread the message of Indian street food far and wide. Um, from day one, as you mentioned in your opening, my mission was to change the way people thought of Indian food. A lot of phenomenal chefs over the last ten years have now joined that that mission. I mean, from Chintan Pandya in New York with his restaurants Adda and Damaka and Sima. Of course, people like Manith and Chiti and Vish, and uh, and many many other great chefs. I mean, Niven Patel down in Miami with Key are doing amazing things with Indian food and truly changing the way people think of what Indian food can look like, taste like. And it's important to me because um, I felt like our culture and our cuisine just deserved more than what Americans had experienced over the last 20, 30, 40 years of the prior generation of Indian restaurants. Um, And it's also important to me because I think as the world becomes smaller and as culture's Collide and integrate with each other. Um, Food seems to be the one thing that everybody can kind of get around and agree on. Um, You know, most of us, our first impression of another culture, our first exposure to another culture is usually through its food. I mean, I didn't know anything about Vietnam, but I certainly had experienced Vietnamese food first. Uh, You can almost do a word association game. If I say Japanese, you'll say sushi. You know, if I say you know, whatever, Peking, you'll say duck, you know? And so uh, food is usually our, our, our doorway, our, our first step towards understanding a different culture.
2: Absolutely. I've always said that food and music are the great unifiers. Exactly.
1: So the more chaipanis we can open, uh, the more people experience uh, Indian street food, the better understanding, hopefully, they'll have of our culture, our people. Uh, there's a lot of us in the United States of America. so, And also, I think, just the outstanding part of... Uh, Chai Pani and, and, and I love the pun because I joke that, you know, we went outstanding because the things that we do are stand outside the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're outside the four walls. Um, we want to do that in every community we're in. Um, I truly believe in this idea of, you know, a, a pebble in a pond causing ripples. And we want to be that pebble in the ponds that we end up in that can spread ripples of giving back, of, um, you know, growing your your, your team uh, of just sort of making the world a better place, one, one plate of uh, Indian street food at a time.
2: Well, marijuana, thank you so much for your time, and I can't wait to see what's next. I know a lot of people can't.
1: Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> it was absolutely a pleasure to talk with you, and uh, I hope the listeners enjoy this conversation.
2: Thanks for listening to HRN on tour. You can find all of our programming at heritageradio.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.